I was thinking... Raiders. Two things. Football. Would it be funny if we did a supplemental reading where we made fun of ourselves... And we did a supplemental reading of a dumb movie, uh, but we like talked about its like ideology and how it that like, would be fun is intertextual. Can we do it on on what is that name? Of Gods that movie? of Egypt. Either Gods of <laughs> Egypt. Although it's a little too funhouse. Mm-hmm. What is the name of that? Gu- Patton Oswalt had like a whole bit on it. Deathbed, the bed that eats people. Thank you. Yes. I feel like that's been covered, but we can look into it. No. Okay. But see, like the thing is, all the bad movies that are intentionally bad. Have been covered. What we could do is if we can find a copy of it, the the 1994 Fantastic Four movie that Fox put out. Yes, please. Because it if you Marvel, ever, if you've ever watched the trailer, mm-hmm. and the cool is thing it good? is, no, it's terrible. Oh, but Claw is in it. Oh, Andy Circus. <laughs> yes, Andy Circus. That Claw. Welcome to another zero credit supplemental reading. My name is John, and my name is Henry. And continuing listeners will be aware that a supplemental reading is a special episode in which we discuss something that we think has merit to the zeitgeist. Uh, it is a spoiler-filled zone where anything goes, and the intention of making it is that our listeners have seen or read or listened to the thing that we're talking about. And we are talking today about the highest-grossing movie in, dare I say, the world, ever, maybe, uh, I don't know what the stats are yet, but Marvel Studios' Black Panther. Due to low budget and legal concerns, we were unable to play any music from Marvel's hit movie, The Black Panther, for you today. Please enjoy this royalty-free stock music entitled Superhero by Axe instead. That's where the theme's gonna go. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is that... Do we put the theme in after I introduce it? I think it would be cool. Okay, yeah, let's do that this time. Yeah. And we're gonna include this too. Yes, Black Panther. Marvel's most grossing... That's a weird... Highest? Highest grossing movie since the original Avengers movie. Oh, wow. Yeah, um... It's also the highest rating. Highest rated Marvel movie currently in existence. Even higher than Ant-Man. Yes. (laughs) Even higher than Doctor Strange. Even higher than The Incredible Hulk starring Edward Norton. Even higher than both first four Thor movies combined. Oh, wow. Actually, average, because if you could... (laughs) I mean, that would be higher than 100, which... Is impossible, because you can't beat 100%. You cannot. So, Black Panther, Henry, uh, a huge cultural moment. How so? Uh, It's maybe the biggest uh, black movie-going experience of the last decade, at least. Uh, Big win for, like, inclusion uh, for for certain black talents. And just a a big tentpole movie for a big studio with uh, a very 
ethnocentric cast. It's strange to say ethnocentric in a positive way. That is kind of strange, but I get what you mean. Yeah, this is the first superhero movie with a black lead since Blade. Really? Yeah. You know, I had an argument with someone as to whether or not Blade was a superhero movie. Well, it's it's Marvel, right? And it is a superhero movie. We are in agreement. Yeah. I mean, so it's not... A lot of people are saying, like, the first major superhero movie with a black lead. And I was like, well, no. Because there was real steel. <laughs> yeah. There was all of the Blade movies. There's, of course, Black Dynamite. And, of course, Kazam. Is it Kazam? Yeah, it's Kazam. But that that was a genie movie. Yeah. Genies can be superheroes. If we're going to say that vampires can be superheroes, genies can be superheroes. Well, he was... Blade was a vampire hunter. Who yeah. He was also a vampire. Daywalker. He was a daywalker, but that that's beside the point. Yeah. What I'm trying to say is there's no... Like, I think Kazam is about the importance of wishing carefully. <laughs> yes. I don't think it was... There, there wasn't really... It wasn't really a superhero movie. Okay, let's leave the discussion of whether or not Kazam was There's a superhero Shaft. movie. There, yes, Shaft, another well-known black superhero movie. But no, I, I see what you mean. It, it's not entirely uh, genuine to say that's the first superhero movie with a black lead, but certainly the biggest. It is the biggest, and I would say it's the most mainline or mainstream. Absolutely. I mean, you can't get much more mainstream than Marvel, but okay, one thing that we do on Supplemental Readings sometimes is... Uh, get into the weeds. Get into the weeds. No, get kidding. all the way out into the weeds. But uh, what I just want to do is do a, a quick kind of warm-up for the movie. And just kind of go through the cast, go through what characters they played. Let's not recap the plot, because of course the listeners have seen it already. They've seen it, so there's no need. But we can discuss who, these, who the people behind the film are. Because that's not something you think about while you're watching the film. Or, you know, not all the time. Mm-hmm. So, where do we start? With the director? Uh, we can start with the director, uh, Mr. Ryan Coogler, uh, director of most notably Fruitvale Station and Creed. That's it. I the, mean, that, those are the biggest things he's directed that I'm aware of. Th- those are the only other two films he's directed. Really? Black Panther is his third film. 100%. Yeah. Can't beat 100%. Uh, that's why I was so excited when I discovered something later. But yeah, this Black Panther is his third film in his career. This guy, he's swinging up. Like, yeah, you can't. I mean, if you go from Fruitvale Station, which was a good movie, uh, to Creed, which is the next tentpole uh, installment of the Rocky franchise, which was really good, probably the best Rocky movie since the first one, and then you get Black Panther, which is a Marvel Studios joint, which probably cost. 800 times more than his previous two movies combined. Yeah, I mean, he stepped up to the plate and he knocked it out the park, to use a sports analogy. Because um, Fruitville Station, you got a historic event. You're, you're, you're paying tribute to real life. With Creed, you're entering, like, a decades-old franchise. And you're, you're moving, like, kind of, like, t- passing the torch from the 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 main character of that franchise to a new direction, mm-hmm. and with Black Panther, you're you're doing a main entry in one of the longest running cinematic universes to ever be produced. Each time Ryan Coogler steps up to to direct a movie, he has so much pressure on him. 
And he just keeps delivering. Yeah, I mean, he was handed, like, the the single most, like, politically important Marvel character. And he's like, oh, it's fine. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Um, th- there was some a brief sort of insight into how Marvel works. Uh, he, he did an interview a while back. But apparently how it works is you're given a character in a room. And you go to that room, you read basically all the comics for that character, and you start writing a story for that character. And if it's good enough, they let you write the script. And from there, you uh, he, he was tapped to direct. I can't even imagine the pressure of having to make something under under the constraints of, here is an entire body of work spanning dozens of authors. Yeah. So uh, make it work. Yeah. <laughs> I, I Not mean, easy. That's the thing about comics that a lot of people don't think about, but uh, these characters or, or a single character will be tr- treated by like a bunch of different authors across decades. Black Panther is unique, however, because I think there's only been, I want to say, three major authors behind it. Uh, of course, the original Jack Kirby mm-hmm. and Stan Lee created the character, but uh, it was, I forget his name, something McGregor. Dan McGregor, I think. Something like that. Uh, who really brought the Black Panther character through the like through to the modern age. Mm-hmm. And then you have, of course, uh, the most recent Black Panther, uh, Tana Hesey Coates. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, one of one of the the greatest like journalistic voices, uh, helming the writing on a very very important comic. But, uh, so that's kind of enough Ryan Coogler talk. Yeah, so he, he, he does decent work, let's just say. Yeah, he, Ryan Coogler, uh, a choice. A clutch player, you might say. Now let's get into that cast, Henry. Well, of course, it's starring Chadwick... <laughs> Boseman. It's Chadwick Boseman, <laughs> uh, Chadwick Boseman, uh, someone who hasn't been in a lot of things that I've seen... Not no. Uh, the first time I saw him was as Black Panther or T'Challa in Captain Cappy America Civil War. Yeah, in Cappy America Civil War. That's really the first time that I was made aware of him. Uh, and uh, this isn't gonna really be like a place to critique them, but uh, I don't know a lot about Chadwick Boseman. I think it's kind of like the Star Wars thing. Just because they're unknown doesn't mean they're not good. Yeah, absolutely. This I mean, is... look at the kid who played Spider Man. Thomas Holland? Sure, he's great. That's not his name. Tom Holland? Sure, he's great. Yeah, I, I feel like Mar- these Marvel movies are a great opportunity to find people who probably wouldn't otherwise get discovered. Because, um, unfortunately, like, Chadwick was saved, I have to say. Because his movie before Cappy America Civil War was Gods of Egypt. Oh, no. A-, a movie that's probably going to kill the careers of, like, three people... Or potentially, and he he was saved. Yeah, so he was he was pulled out of the river of gods of Egypt by a crab that ate his genitals. And what is that? What what are you referring to? This is don't worry. It's Egyptian mythology jokes. Don't worry about it. All right. Don't worry. He's he was in Cappy America. Now he's in uh, Black Panther. And then we have Michael B. Jordan. Michael B. Jordan, a, a, a young lad who's probably <laughs> older than me. Who uh, is on the rise, on like a skyrocketing rise. Yeah, Michael B. Jordan, uh, you might remember him as a kid in the wire when he was 15. 
And then uh, slowly he's kind of evolved as an actor. Uh, most importantly, not importantly, most notably, uh, he has been in Fruitvale Station and the lead in Creed. So three for three for Ryan Coogler and Mr. Michael B. You know, you, you, you always hear about directors finding actors they like working with, and I feel like that's one of them. Yeah, it's gotta be. 100%, <laughs> three for three. And he's another one, like, okay, so he's been in a lot of things. Let's see, Red Tails, which was the story of the Tuskegee uh, Airmen. Mm-hmm. He was in Chronicle. I don't know if you remember that one. I don't. That was the found footage film of the Oh, the, the of found the guys. footage superpower thing? Okay. Exactly. Like Jumper? Like Jumper. Exactly like Jumper. Uh, he, he played a voice of Victor Stone slash Cyborg in uh, the Flashpoint Paradox, the animated DC venture. And then, like, he was in the Fantastic Four. Oh, he was the he was uh, uh, Johnny Storm. Yeah, he was Johnny Storm slash the Human Torch, and the Fantastic Four. Was that the reboot or the reboot of the reboot? The reboot of the reboot. Great, the newest one. And you would think after a movie like that, because it wasn't well received, and I don't. You would think after a movie, it was kind of like another Gods of Egypt scenario where that could have been it. What is with Marvel cannibalizing its own actors? Well, I, f- I feel like they want to save them. Yeah, but like, okay, it, it's not even that. Like, look at Josh Brolin. He's in Deadpool and, uh, what is it? Fucking Infinity Avengers. War. Infinity War. Yeah. Well, see, here's the thing. They're technically different studios. Yeah. And I mean, the the... Fantastic Four one is the same situation, right? Because exactly. that was still Sony. Exactly. They're technically different studios. They just happen to be both Marvel properties. But I feel like whoever plays the Human Torch, they want to save. Like, Chris Evans was the yeah. first... Not the first, but the second most recent <laughs> human, yes. human Torch. Um, Josh Brolin, they wanted to save. <laughs> they wanted to save because you can't be Cable. Cable's the worst character in the Marvel Universe. No, Cable's awesome. Cable's Cable's awesome. You're right. Cable Let's is not... not a, okay, it's fine. He's awesome. He's he's awesome when he wants Deadpool. We're not going to yes. talk about Deadpool it. Deadpool slash Cable is great. The point is... Dead, uh, cable with uh, Rob Liefeld is not great. It's fine. The point is, Michael B. Jordan doing a good job. And he's on the upswing. He's on the upswing. There are more people in the film. Do we want to touch on... Each one of them. They, we would waste an entire episode doing that so, because we are getting out in the weeds. Yeah, let's just name Forrest Whitaker, uh-huh. Andy Serkis, uh-huh. Martin Freeman, uh-huh. Lupita, oh no. Nyong'o. Nyong'o. Dainai Gira. Yep, sure. I have trouble with that one myself. Uh... Letitia Wright, Letitia Wright, and more. These are all the; those are all the, yeah. the windows I have opened. However, sorry for only talking about men than than going over the ladies. I mean, there's but Winston Duke, there's Angela, Angela Bassett. Bassett, Daniel Kaluuya. Yeah, Daniel Kaluuya's in this movie. Okay, that's this, fine. This it was a really it's a huge cast and a it's a really fun moment. What I mean is like normally in a in like a superhero movie we would get perhaps one. Maybe mm-hmm. two of these actors. This is one of the first times where we could we they could get whoever they wanted. Yeah, I mean for for this film, I feel like they it's it's a smorgasbord of talented uh, black actors, and I feel like as a movie that bears the weight of representation, it almost felt like it needed uh, the amount of like talent they had. 
because the you, you can't you can't lose. Everyone in the cast is so so good. Like yeah. casting amazing, performances really really good and I feel like they there's not a flat performance in the bunch. Yeah, they're they're all pretty pretty well put together and, and yeah. just really dynamic and just a super great job casting. And I mean, like I said, as as a movie that bears the weight of representation, maybe it's best that they're like representing every like high profile, super skilled actor they could possibly fit into the movie. Yeah. Not to say that there are actors that there are only so many people you can have in a movie. It's true. And although, one of them although, has to be Forrest Whitaker. Although Infinity War will prove you wrong. <laughs> yes. Because it will have infinity people. Exactly. So let's get into what do we want to get into next? Because we, we've touched on the director. We've touched on the actors. There's actually another writer who we could have mentioned. But, you know, who cares about co-writing? Yeah, who cares? His name was Joe. Oh, uh, poor Joe. Yeah. So uh, what I want to talk about is uh, something that... And maybe we can talk about this first. I don't know. It might take up the entire episode. Okay. Uh... The thing that I want to talk about with the movie, it's it's everyone's thinking about it, everyone's talking about it. It's the one thing people can't stop talking about with the movie, and it's the music. The music is really good. I disagree. What do you know? <laughs> Hear me Original out. Original songs by Kendrick Lamar. Hear me out. That's the vote. That's the credit. Yeah. Okay. Hear me out. All right. I will hear you out. So I listened to the Black Panther album. That's an important word in this context. The Black Panther album. That's not soundtrack. It is not. I listened to the Black Panther album uh, maybe 30 to 40 times before the movie came out. That's... I, I just found it on my Spotify, so I started listening to it. It is so, so good. Uh, the, the Black Panther album is this amazing collaborative album by Kendrick Lamar. He only credits himself on five songs, but he did huge production work on on a ton of the songs and it's this like really varied introspective dynamic awesome awesome hip-hop album it's really good you so so the music inspired by the movie is really good but the music in the movie isn't is that what yeah you're, exactly oh, because okay. when i when i was listening to it i was imagining that black panther would be this like incredible ballsy hip-hop driven movie with all these like really cool artists that i really like like there's there's an Absol track on there that i was really excited to hear in the movie and i was like building up what i thought the movie would be in my head and then it just kind of okay the music in black panther is much better way higher bar than most marvel movies most Marvel movies have garbage placeholder music. And that, that, that's very true. The music in Black Panther, you've got motifs going on. You've got themes behind characters. Like, anytime um, Killmonger mm -hmm. is reigning over Wakanda, you've got this really, like, heavy hip-hop beat. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so much better and... I don't know. I feel like maybe if I had watched it without listening to that album, without having this picture in my mind, I would have liked the music a lot more. Because the music is it's is varied. It has light motifs. It it has these like great character themes that happen throughout. It's got a bunch of like homages to traditional African music, which is great. And so, there's... so does the album, though. Well, I mean, and, that, and that, that's fine. I'm not I'm not trying to compare the two. Yeah. I'm just saying how well the music works in the movie. It's one of I think the stronger parts of the movie is how well the soundtrack is integrated into plot, into character, 
into shaping your entire perspective of this first glance we get into this this hidden nation of Wakanda. Maybe I just shouldn't have, have judged it before. Maybe I shouldn't have made an assumption. I, I feel like you got one, you know, you, you were unfortunately misled by the album. That's not the album's intention. Yeah. But it, it just led you a little bit astray on what to expect for the movie's music. Oh, there's just this one song called Paramedic that I thought was going to be played over like a... Like Killmonger doing a specific thing in the movie, and that would have been real cool, but it's fine. I will concede and say that the music in Black Panther is probably really good. I f- yeah, I mean, there was one moment when the music... Because <laughs> Michael B. Jordan, Killmonger is not even on the screen yet, and the, the hip-hop beats start playing. We're following a ship up a <laughs> shaft... And it leads to him looking over, like, a shipment of the uh, vibranium weapons being shipped out. Mm-hmm. But, like, I started laughing because the, w- with the hip-hop music, I'm like, we're going to Killmonger. Like, I could just... I The motifs were so strong. Mm-hmm. Usually characters have themes, sure, but the characters didn't have specific themes. It was, it was whole, like, genres dedicated to the different sort of ideologies behind the character... That sort of brought the character more to life mm-hmm. and made me look forward to seeing Killmonger later because I knew, like, something different is going to happen. Like, when uh, he's walking up to the throne and that shot starts upside down. Oh, yeah, that was so good. I mean, it's just like a music video. Yeah, that was that was so, so good. Uh, there's a... I forget who said this, but they said that... Uh, Musical motifs in film are like hearing a doorbell before you see your best friend or your worst enemy, uh, which uh, the movie totally did that. It it told you how a scene was going with the music, which is absolutely what a soundtrack should do. It should not just hit a string note when it feels like suspense should be happening. Yeah, yeah. It, Fucking it sh- Marvel movies. <laughs> it You know, soundtracks, a movie can die or succeed by its soundtrack. Horror movies use them for suspense. Other movies kind of put them as backdropping. Alfred Hitchcock left them out because he thought it was more suspenseful. Mm -hmm. Um, But in this one, it wields it like a paintbrush. Yeah. And it uses it just to fill in all of the gaps that you can't with dialogue and with physical, visual things. And I guess that, I guess the fight at the end had a lot of like really cool both hip-hop and traditional elements and they were they were clashing in a disharmonious way. I don't know, it's probably really good. So it, and y- to, to be fair, it loses out to the album, in mm-hmm. your opinion, which, and that's, a, that can be a totally fair assumption, just because they're two separate things, they're two different things. Yeah. If I wanted to listen to one of them, I'd listen to the album. That doesn't necessarily mean the music in the movie is bad. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's my fault. And, and I, I will reiterate, I think the music and how the music was used in this movie is one of the strongest things behind the movie. Because mm-hmm. I, I, I went back and forth with if this movie was great. Yeah. And I landed on, this is probably one of the better Marvel movies to come out, which doesn't say much because Marvel movies have a kind of a low bar. Yeah, Marvel movies on average are, are viewable, but not actually great movies. And this, this Marvel movie does something that few other Marvel movies do, and that's it introduces 
like ideological differences that we can discuss mm-hmm. beyond the merits of the movie. You saw that a little bit in Homecoming with like the struggle of the middle class creating the vulture, mm-hmm. which is one of my favorite things I a Marvel movie has ever done. One of the best two Marvel villains, <laughs> yeah. you might say. You might say that. And and this and this one we get how do you deal with like race and power? Yeah, because the uh Speaking of motifs, we can talk about the fact that uh, another kind of background element, like a soundtrack that really drove the movie forward, was it was the clashing of very strong, diametrically, seemingly at the outset, diametrically opposed political beliefs. Yeah. So you had uh, Daniel Kaluuya's character, who was, I have no idea what his character's name was. But he was the head of the Warriors. Yeah, he was the head of the Warriors. He had a very, like, Warhawk mentality mm-hmm. and uh, believed in Wakanda using its power to secure, like, a seat of power on the world stage or even become, like, world dominators. Because his the the cool thing that the movie set out with its its political messages or the political leanings of its characters is it made their stances very simple even if they were complete characters which people are capable of being whole but having simplified beliefs and simplified beliefs are easier to portray in a movie yeah yeah i mean you need like a side versus side kind of thing and that's hard you can't really go through a full philosophical debate in a movie Mm -hmm. you gotta you gotta boil it down by the way daniel kalua's uh, name in the movie is Wakabi. Wakabi, just yes. so we know. So uh, Wakabi is very uh, war hawkish. He wants uh, to keep refugees out. He's very isolationist, but he's isol- isolationist and warlike. And then you have uh, Nakia, who is played by Lupita Nyong'o, and her entire her entire thing is she wants to be inclusionist. She wants to welcome refugees because you see in the in the start when she is trying to rescue these women from this like boko haramish group yeah and she wants to like bring the refugees in and t'challa's like no let's not bring the refugees in let's think about it uh and she wants to offer aid and offer people to uh like come to wakanda and and use wakanda's power for good in aiding people but in a pacifistic way Mm -hmm. and at the outset at the beginning you have t'challa uh chadwick boseman uh, for those who I guess don't know that his character's name is T'Challa, you have you have the guy who who plays the Black Panther. Yes, uh, his views are uh, at the outset, and I guess still I have problems with his character's views for most of the movie because he remains isolationist. He he's pretty undefined at the beginning. Like we we get the scene between him and his father and hit him expressing that he wants to be a good king. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that kind of is where his character at the beginning drops off. Yeah, he, he wants to be a good king, but he is apolitical. Yeah. He, he, he doesn't really have a side other than Wakanda's been running fine up until this point. Let's keep it that way. He wants to stay isolationist. He wants to go after Claw, Andy Serkis's character, because he wants to uh, get answers for the one person who found the way to get into Wakanda. He wants to keep it at homeostasis. He wants to keep the status quo... Because he's never, at least up until this point, he's never really had to think, what do I want to do with the power Mm -hmm. that I suddenly have? 
Yeah, and uh, I, I don't know if that's a conscious choice or not. It is frustrating in the movie just to see the main character be a apolitical for that period of time. And then you have, like, side characters who clearly also have their own, like, Zuri, Forrest Whitaker's character. For the, the small amount that he's on screen, he clearly has a very, like, traditionalist, ritualistic uh, approach to politics. You have Shuri, who just wants technological advancement and to use uh, vibranium for technology. Uh, but then... Uh, everything gets kind of turned on its head with Killmonger. Yeah, Killmonger, who is not from Wakanda, mm -hmm. has little of their traditional values and was brought up in Oakland, California, amongst strife, turmoil. Like In the vision he has, where he's he's talking to his father, his father says, no tears for me. Mm -hmm. And this, this kid, who's like, I, I want to say eight, says, everybody dies around here. Mm -hmm. So this kid who, who grows up to be Killmonger already has seen like a life full of death and suffering. And so he's coming to Wakanda like, why, if you have all of this technology, all of this power, the ability to, to bring the fight back to those who are oppressing, why have you done nothing? Because it most telling line, one of the most telling lines of the movie in relation to Killmonger's character is when Agent Ross interrupts and says he's not Wakandan, he's one of ours. Yeah. Which is is not to say he's not Wakandan, he's with the U.S. government. He's not Wakandan, he's American. Yes. Uh, which is uh, very telling of his character from Oakland, the birthplace of the Black Panther Party, uh, which is like a neat little parallel, I guess. Yeah, and I think also Ryan Coogler grew up there. Okay, that works too. Yeah. Uh, quick quiz. What's up? What is, uh, what is Killmonger's dad's name? Oh, it's Babu. It's not Babu. Sorry, Baba. Uh, it is Njobu. Oh, Njobu. Mm -hmm. Why did I did know that? Because it it pops up on the screen when when uh, the River Tribe leader says, "Who are you?" Yes, in Wakandan, yep. he responds in Wakandan. I I can't re repeat it in because Wakandan. it was in a different language uh, um, that doesn't exist. But basically, uh, I am the son of Prince Najib. I already forgot it. Njobu. Njobu. I'm the son of Prince Njobu. Now, what's Killmonger's name? Eric Stevens. Uh, what's his original name? What's his Wakanda name? Was that he does have one. Was that said in the... He does have one. Because he says it, doesn't he? I don't know what it is. Njadaka. Njadaka. Anyway, quiz over. I failed on <laughs> zero, both counts. Zero percent. So, zero credits. Uh, what I like about... What I like about Killmonger's character in relation to T'Challa... Is that if our complaint with T'Challa is that he's apolitical, Killmonger is impolitical. Oh. He I... is opposed to politic. Yeah, he doesn't really want to govern. He doesn't really want to use the power he uh, wins. Yeah. In, in a diplomatic way, he just wants to conquer, basically. He wants to arm those who are oppressed so they can rise up and overthrow their oppressors. He deletes the path of succession. He he has them burn the heart-shaped flower because he has no intention of having an heir. He mm -hmm. he is if you if you have every other character in this movie believing that they have a certain set of political values, he exists in opposition to political value. Yeah, he's kind of like a <laughs> this is a weird comparison. He's kind of like Daenerys Stormborn. Yes, kind of. Who, who, once she, like, conquers the kingdoms or whatever, she's incapable of producing an heir. Yeah. So it's just kind of like, I'm going to take back my home, and then what? Eh, 
I don't know. I'm a conqueror. Like, and uh, it it makes it very easy to get on board with the Killmonger message because he's very charismatic. And if if you've been watching the movie and you're and you're seeing, oh hey, these are people with strong politically held beliefs, and you see that there's this tension. If someone comes in and relieves that tension by giving an entirely new system, no matter how messed up it is, you kind of root for him. Yeah, I mean, no longer are we debating should we help or should we not. It's let's ship weapons to our agents so they can arm radicals yeah. to, to you know, upend the status quo. Mm-hmm. My issue with the Killmonger thing, though, is he is charismatic. And I found myself rooting for him. In, he's my favorite part of the movie. He's a very strong part of the movie. Just because, as we, as we kind of established, T'Challa is a great fighter, a great warrior. He's very much lost in the film, and I don't know if that translates as well as it should. Yeah. Because other than, it's kind of like a throwaway line at the beginning, it's only been a week since, like, the events of Cappy America Civil War. Mm-hmm. And so, so it's only been, like, a week since he lost his father. So I can't imagine you'd have a fully formed set of political beliefs and doctrines to govern under if it's been a week since you had to be king. Exactly, like... So, so he feels kind of lost. I don't know if, like, I, I think that might have, you could reinforce that more. Yeah, it, it wasn't communicated super hard because if you weren't watching the movie very closely, it could just feel like T'Challa's a background character. Yeah. Like, he, he could feel like a, a nothing character. And I feel like he, he was complex. I just feel like we never got a, a huge look into why he is, like, apolitical, why he's not making bigger moves to be a good king. I think he, I think Killmonger and T'Challa are perfect foils for each other because whereas like T'Challa is sort of the only unsure person in the movie, Killmonger is one of like he's not one of the only, but he's like the strongest set in his convictions. He he cannot be swayed. My the thing that I like about the T'Challa Killmonger dynamic is they're they're very similar their their arcs through the movie in fact they both end up wearing black panther suits yeah. and fighting in black panther suits but they they go to a very old school place of comic book villainy which is something that i don't think we've seen a lot of in marvel movies but you have a singular protagonist whose foil is his complete opposite yeah. Because Killmonger could not be any more different from T'Challa other than the fact that they're both Wakandans. Because their entire arc... Because uh, T'Challa has to force himself to be king in a short period of time uh, because of a terrible accident. And... Er, not accident, it was a terrorist attack. It, uh, yeah, I mean... I guess you could say it was an accident and that nobody wanted it to happen other than yeah. the terrorists. But but uh, but T'Challa, uh, Killmonger, has been gearing up his entire life to be king of Wakanda. Everything that he's done up until this point. So he knows what he wants and he wants to destroy everything. Yeah, I, I mean, the steps he takes to get there is literally just kill. Yeah, I mean, he nothing is precious to him. He kills his girlfriend in an instant, which I still don't... Totally understand how the plan to get into Wakanda happened. That is my biggest problem with the movie, and maybe we can talk about it later. And you can explain it to me, but uh, yeah, it's uh. it's it's a it's just the toughest thing for me to grasp. It, it's hard for me to suspend my disbelief for it, but it's a long con, John. It's a very okay. We'll talk about it later, maybe. <laughs> but no, uh, Killmonger is a is a is a great character, and he's the perfect like 
counterbalance to all of the political weight that the movie front-loaded with, which is why people respond to him so well. Yeah, I mean, put yourself in the kingdom of Wakanda. You're a citizen of Wakanda, and if your kings have preached isolationism for the entire existence of you and your people, and suddenly someone comes along and says, hey, there are people out there who, who are like us, mm-hmm. who are suffering... Why shouldn't we help them? At least it's difference, you know? Yeah. I, I, you, you would say, if you were just like a normal citizen, maybe we should give him a chance. And I mean, there's a there's a fair amount of, yeah, I mean... I mean, it sucks that he killed their king and whatever, but... Yeah. I mean, according to how we rule our... our, our our, ourselves this is he, we have to give him a chance now by law yeah the problem with that though Killmonger just deserves to be king by by the traditions is he he just did it yeah I mean, he followed the rules he, he, th- that's that's like you can't hate him for doing what he did he yeah he, he's like he followed the protocols he beat him fair and square it wasn't cheating or anything like I guess you could argue that Killmonger is used to fighting with normal people's strength. Yeah. And T'Challa isn't as used to it. But there's the fight at the beginning of the movie between Mbaka Mm -hmm. and T'Challa to demonstrate that, no, he's perfectly capable of fighting without the strength. Yeah, I mean, essentially T'Challa comes back through cheating, but whatever. Uh, He doesn't cheat. Someone else cheats for him. Yes. And and gives him heart-shaped herb. That's not his fault. So, one thing that I do want to say about Killmonger before we get off of Killmonger, which we may never do. We may never. Uh, So, the thing about Killmonger that I think maybe people get twisted a little bit is it seems like a lot of people are making the argument that Killmonger's ideals are good ones or, or Killmonger's ideas are... Are they have merit, and I feel like that's completely misunderstanding what the writers of the film intended. Because okay, so Killmonger's ostensible goal: black liberation through violence. Yeah, and it's it's re reconquering. Yeah, it, that's exactly what it is. Because it's black liberation through violence. Are we saying that if I say that? Killmonger's ideas aren't good. Am I saying black liberation's a bad idea? No. Am I saying violence is not a verb to be used in liberation? No. I think both of those things are fine things. In a way. But the thing about Killmonger that makes his views really uh, compelling and also evil is he's not Wakandan. He's one of ours. Yeah. He's he's doing black liberation the American with, way. with colonial hegemonic tactics. He's, the sun will never set on the Wakandan Empire. He says, I know how the colonizers think. Yeah, he he's, his entire goal is to become the enemy. It's not to become equal or to become free. It is to reverse the role, become the oppressor, which is not a bad trade. I mean, that that's not, that shouldn't be the end goal or even any goal. <laughs> yeah, so to say that Killmonger is like, hegemonic colonial ideas are good is just missing the point of the movie and i mean one thing that you you want to look at with what killmonger was was trying to do is 
You can't say his ideas are good when he is actively trying to use Wakandan spies to foment rebellion. He's just becoming an American NGO. He's he's just fomenting violence and killing innocent people so that he can have an empire. There's nothing about black liberation in there. He's selling an idea of black liberation so that he can have an empire. Exactly. I mean, he's doing exactly what he was trained to do. Yeah. I mean, they, they say, like, he can destabilize governments. He wants to do that... <laughs> Across the world. I love that there's a Marvel movie that uh, we can we can make a reference to the fact that American non-governmental organizations, in quotes, non-governmental organizations, can like foment rebellion, destroy governments, and kill innocent people. And it's just something we mention in a movie because we know it's true. I mean, we have documented evidence about yeah, it, it absolutely, overthrowing dictators and installing other dictators. It absolutely happens, but I just like to imagine back in the 60s if they were like, to put that in a superhero movie, what a crazy thing that would be. I like that, you know, Mar- Martin Freeman's character, Russ or whatever, like just says that. Yeah. And I have expected like the child to go like, you guys... You guys do that? That's kind of that's kind of effed that's up. Kinda, that's kind of messed up. Uh, that's a problem that I had with the movie is uh, Agent Ross. I think his name is Ross or Russ, Russ or Ross. Who cares? One of the two. Martin Freeman. Martin, Fre- Martin Freeman's character. Uh, I feel like his moment of heroism pretty completely unearned because he's a white CIA operative operative in Africa and. It feels weird to give a moment of heroism to someone who's in an organization that has ruined Africa. The CIA has a horrible, horrible past with Africa. You have to, you have to sort of consider the person and not the yeah. organization he represents. Like he kind of earns his moment a little bit. He earns his moment of hero- heroism when he just jumps in front of a bullet. I mean, it, for it, someone he doesn't know, it might be that you. It's, and that's I mean, it's old school heroism, but still, I mean, come on. But I mean, it's maybe it's it's an arc throughout time of just this one character because he starts having kind of like a patriarchal like uh, imperialist view of Africa, and then like when he has been in Wakanda and when he's like lived with the people, then he's willing to like sacrifice his life to save them. I don't know. I mean, they saved him. Life for a life. Life for a life. Baku says it. Wookie life debt. <laughs> Wookie life debt, yeah. Yeah, also M'Baku life debt. M'Baku life debt, it happens. Yeah, uh, but I don't know. That's Those are just nitpicks, but uh, bigger thing is, it makes me uncomfortable when people are like, Killmonger was right. It's like, no, he wasn't. He was a great villain. Yeah, he was a great villain with really... His, his ideals Terribly were, evil yeah, ideals. His ideals were warped as all good villain. Like, the best villain you can write is one whose ideology you can kind of agree with. Yeah, and by that metric, he's great. But it's the methodology that's yeah. wrong. Yeah, because if he says, aren't there like two billion people who look exactly like us? Don't they deserve to be free? Don't they deserve to be happy? You're like, yeah, that makes sense. And then he's like, let's become oppressors and kill innocent people. It's like, ah, I don't yeah, know. I don't know about that. We're going to restart the world, but this time we're on top. Yep. This movie also does a great thing in that the villain, although defeated changes the way the protagonist or the hero views the world. Yeah, Killmonger dies, but he wins. He does win, because Wakanda does sort of open up. Because if you if you look at all the political ideologies leading up to that, they all stem from a place of isolationism. Yeah. Because, uh... Uh, what, what's... 
Daniel Kaluuya. Daniel Kaluuya's character is, we need to be warlike, take the spoils back to Wakanda. We need to, to stand on top of the world stage, but we need to stay within ourselves. And then Nakia says, we need to stay within ourselves, offer aid. And uh, T'Challa says, we need to be isolationist, whatever. Uh, Killmonger's entire philosophy is, let people see what Wakanda is with weapons. Yeah, yeah. We're going we're gonna to open ourselves up to assaulting other people. Yeah, which it, is not great. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's a lot of great themes. The isolationist theme is great. The, like, the race and power sort of conflict. Like, what happens if you find out there's an entire, like, city of people, or entire nation of people that look like you, and they're on top? Like, that's something we can't really observe in real life. So this is a great sort of opportunity to consider that what if. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like you're meeting a completely different species. Yeah, because, I mean, if you look at the... the Was that a stinger at the end? Which one? The one where they said... The no. intercredit scene? I think it was the intercredits where he's like, what the, can the, the nation of farmers offer to us? Yeah, that's intercredits. Was there one at the end? There was. I didn't stay for it. Oh no! Yeah, I didn't care. Uh, it's it wasn't that big. I, I can I tell you about it. I haven't stayed for an after credit scene in a Marvel movie in a while. I just watch the one and then I leave. That's dumb. I don't know. Did you go to Alamo Drafthouse to see it? I did. You missed something that only Alamo Drafthouse people could see. No, it wasn't that big of a moment. It's just a little funny laugh. No. Okay. However, yeah, the inter credit scene where the the I don't even know what country it was from as part you know. With all due respect, what can a nation of farmers give to the world and everyone has shares a knowing smile? Yeah. What about that? You, you brought it up. Oh, no. I just think that, uh, God, I was just thinking about missing out on the after credit sequence that, like, wiped my mind clean. Uh, no, that, that, was, uh, that was covered in the after credit segment because it's like, the implications of that scene are, what would the world do if your expectations of a country were so, like, flipped around that you said that you saw this is what a nation with access to like unobtainable technology and untouched by european colonialism this is what they'll do yeah which i don't know if they're untouched by european colonialism listen did they build that holographic thing before european colonialism started they must have man they were advanced but also they're like 400,000 years in advance of human society, so they have to have had done that, I guess. Yeah. Or maybe they just had, like, guns and they just killed them. I don't know. They were also in a super mountainous region. Yeah, true. Created probably by the creator, uh, yeah. the, the meteor to begin with. Mm-hmm. So maybe for before they had the uh, the hologram project, project, projection up, they were just in a hard-to-reach location, mm-hmm. kind of like Machu Picchu, which yeah. is still intact because... Colonial like colonizers couldn't get to it. Yeah, they need better cardio, better <laughs> colonial cardio. All, all that heavy armor weighed them down. Yep. Um, oh, I was gonna springboard to a point that I don't remember. Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! Okay, so an event like that, where suddenly, you know, this nation you think like I don't know. Let's pick one to pick on. Um. African or otherwise. Fiji. Fiji, sure. So, an island country of tourism reveals that all of a sudden, hey, by the way, Atlantis was real. We've got all of their technology. 
that's a moment that either will unify the world under one sort of like goal of let's bring everyone up mm-hmm. or we'll tear it apart and like we want that we're gonna try to kill you to get it and i don't know if that's something the marvel movies are going to explore probably not my guess it it it, it won't but like the implications of that un scene like either humanity will be united or the earth will be destroyed <laughs> Uh, the, and the, the implications of that scene to me, what made me so excited is, and uh, this probably won't propagate out Marvel movies, uh, despite being part of a larger cinematic universe, they're not really good at taking lessons or themes from other Marvel movies and propagating them out to forward Marvel movies, or else everyone would have been different after Winter Soldier and Civil War, but whatever. Yeah, I mean, major spy organizations, like, just crumbling in public eye and, like, uh, entire countries being lifted into the sky and dropped back down to earth these are these are these are events that shape like we talk about the zeitgeist on this show the zeitgeist of the marvel universe is probably so dark and fucked up yeah that like the average citizen is probably just like what's going to kill me today (laughs) yeah you can't survive as a normal person in the marvel universe but the the implication to me in like a perfect world where marvel movies actually communicate is can you imagine the level of like both technological advancement and cultural inclusivity that would be in ongoing marvel movies like iron man's suit would be like what not even it's not even a thing it's not even a concern but also marvel movies exist with the knowledge that gods exist and there's infinite possible universes and actual magic is real yeah I just, I just, I want to, I want to talk to like a white supremacist of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> Once that announcement's made, it's like, so, uh, do you still feel like you're superior <laughs> to people who don't look like you? Cause they've got like floating everything. Yeah. They, they've got like laser swords, <laughs> you, you know, j- you, you like you like lightsabers? They have those. They have those right now. You can buy one. And you don't. So so where does that put you on the whole hierarchy? I feel like it'd be really weird to be a white supremacist in the Marvel Universe. That probably a, don't exist. I, I mean, yeah, of course they don't. But that's something that we desperately need in the Marvel Universe is just a Marvel movie that is about the unsavory types of the Marvel Universe. Which I guess the street-level Marvel shows cover that. But I mean, it's always going to... This is how the events of Black Panther will be covered in Daredevil Season 4 or whatever. Some beleaguered man, probably the head of the newspaper or whatever, will like be looking at a graying, like a yellowing newspaper and like jabbing. He's like, oh, the Wakandan technology, you don't even need gas in your cars anymore. And they just like throws it up. That's it. Yeah. That's all that will ever be discussed of it. Or there's a throwaway line with, I think they might have gotten their hands on some vibranium from Wakanda. Yeah, and then there will just be a guy who just, like, has a knife made of vibranium. And they're like, cool, great. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, fantastic. Because Four. <laughs> I, think, I think that's all done on purpose, though, because they're, they're really keeping the cinematic universe tight and that they're not exploring any of these social implications. Probably because maybe... Those social implications don't have room mm-hmm. in a movie. But the thing is, with Black Panther, they're sort of inviting those social implications to yeah. be discussed. 
And uh, that that's something that the Black Panther... The Black Panther? It's not called that. No. Uh, that's something that Black Panther lays the groundwork for that really not a lot of other Marvel movies do because they're specifically saying this is a world-changing event that is riding on the back of an African nation. Yeah. So talk about that, Marvel movies. Spoilers, they won't. I, I know. It's, it's going to be... Because, like, all of the themes that you find in individual superhero movies in the Marvel Universe are usually kept with the individual, like, we, we might see more of these themes in Black Panther 2 if there is one. Yeah, and we might see more about the middle class in Spider-Man 2 yeah. if there is one. We might not see them in Infinity War, which comes out in, like, two months. Hold on. Are you telling me you haven't seen the newest trailer for Infinity War? I don't watch trailers. Okay, well, let me tell you what the newest trailer is. Okay, so it's Infi- the, the Avengers Captain America Civil War. Uh, Infinity, Civil, Infinity Civil War. The Battle of the Five Armies. Here are the five <laughs> armies. Okay. Uh, the humans. The hu- all, all humans. <laughs> the humans. Uh, the forces of Galactus. Galactus from Fantastic Four? No, what's his name? Thanos. The forces of Thanos. Okay, Thanos. And the space ghosts. <laughs> and the space ghosts. Okay, and then there's going to be the Wakandans. Who aren't human? The middle class. <laughs> Who aren't human? And then uh, the wolves. <laughs> Just a bunch of wolves show yep. up. Just a bunch of wolves show up. That's, you've heard it here first, folks. That's our exclusive... And Cappy Americal, Avengers Americal, Civi Americal, War, uh, Battle of Five Armies. Yep. <laughs> you now know who the five armies are. Yes. Watch out for the wolves. <laughs> they're the ones you got to keep your eye on because yeah. they're wolves. It's uh, Avengers, Captain Americal, uh, Civil Infinity, it's Infinity Civil War, Civil Infinity War, Battle of the Five Armies, colon, watch out for the wolves. Oh, man. They keep making these movies longer. The titles, longer and longer. Oh. So. Yes? The plot to get to Wakanda is a long con, John. Okay. Can we break down... Let me tell you what my understanding of the plot to get to Wakanda is. All right. And I'll fill in parts, because that's what you do with a movie. You watch it, and then you make assumptions. Yeah, I mean, you have to. It's called inferences. So the first time you see Eric Stevens, a.k.a. Killmonger... A.K. and Jadaka. He's in a museum. He's in a museum in the section for African artifacts. In London. He's wearing a real bomb denim faux shearling jacket and some really cool glasses. His hair. Really like the hair. His whole style, really good. Anyway. How do you, how do you think he's got time to do all that styling when he's out killing? Hey, I mean, every dot you is gotta, for a kill. You gotta make time, I guess. Yeah, Okay, we'll cover it. So he is in he's in a museum. My inference is that previous to this he had established an underground contact with Andy Circus, aka Claw. Yes. And the deal is to sell him vibranium. No. Okay. The deal is to source him. Source vibranium. him vibranium so he can sell it to the whoever he's selling. Highest it to. bidder and he gets a cut. Yes. So he sources him vibranium because Probably Eric Stevens, as he is known, Eric Stevens is an expert in African artifacts and specifically the artifacts of Wakanda. He, through his underground or CIA contacts, is like, I can find your vibranium. Give me Andy Circus. Give me gun arm. 
Uh, yeah, I think he I think he knew about Claw to some extent, maybe from his father's notes or something. Okay. And and I think he knew who Claw was. Oh yeah, because his his dad knew Claw and he helped him break into Wakanda and steal the Okay. Exactly. So that's where it is. Okay. And, and I think I think at this point, when he's first making the deal, uh-huh. he's angling to kill Claw as Because a tic- he would have to. As a ticket in. So he does that. Mm-hmm. He's got his girlfriend involved. Kills the museum lady, gives the vibranium to Claw, and then Claw goes to sell it. Yeah, so they part ways. They part ways. This part, see, long con. Claw goes to sell it. Claw goes to sell it. Maybe he knew it was the the CIA. I mean, he, he was in the CIA, so maybe he knew, but I, I mean, but okay, let's see if that would track. So he sells it, he tries to sell it to the CIA, does not work. Yeah. He gets busted. He gets busted. So, Claw gets busted, all still seemingly part of the plan, and then he busts him out. I don't think that was part of the plan. But he does track his arm, because his arm has vibranium or whatever. I I know he's tracked his arm. He he does track his arm, yes. So he tracks his arm, so he can find him, so he can bust him out to save him. To... To take him to a plane to say, take me to Wakanda. Yeah. And then he kills him and his girlfriend. And then takes the corpse to Wakanda. Yeah. To say, I'm Wakanda and let me in. See, okay. Here's... I, I, I When I first saw it, I thought he didn't know where Wakanda was. And Claude did. So he was going to use him to find Wakanda. Yeah. But then he kills him. Yeah, see, that was my... That was my idea. Is like when he's like, take me to Wakanda. I thought he was going to like... Hold him up or something? Like but he kills him. He kills him, so I don't know where in that plan he found out where Wakanda is. So he just went there. I mean, it could could have been in his father's notes. Yeah. Because, I mean, we do see a little bit of that in the vision where he, he takes the panel off the wall and he's got that journal. I think there might be coordinates in that, among all those notes. Um, so... I don't get... So he finds him the vibranium. I don't get why he lets him go a separate way to try to sell it. I, yeah, I don't understand it, that part of the plan. He's alone in a room with Andy Serkis having killed a bunch of people. Shoot Andy Serkis, take him in the paramedic van with your girlfriend, drive away. Yeah. So why is that middle part there? Tension? I guess. I just... I don't get the plan, and the only way I can sell the plan myself is to say he was flying by the seat of his pants, and then at the plane, he killed Andy Circus just cuz, and then he's like, I bet I could use this guy to get to Wakanda. It's not a good plan. I, I, think, I think it is largely improvising. Okay. I, I should hope so. Yeah. I, I mean, I think he got to the, a point where it's like, I, I kind of have to kill you because you're dangerous. Mm-hmm. And really this, I think his, his plan involves killing Claw in some way or another uh, as part, an integral part of it. Mm-hmm. Look, it worked. His intention you has to be to kill Claw. You don't. You don't. But he has like it, it, well, he has works. the Wakanda lip thing. He's got he's got a war dog tattoo. So he could just get into Wakanda, maybe. But also, like him bringing Claw in gets Wakabi on his side. Yeah, but does he know the like interfactional disputes in Wakanda? Because Wakabi is the perfect person for him to go to. What if he had not ended up with Wakabi? Well, Wakabi is the border 
patrol. Oh, yeah. That, but how would he know that? I guess Father's he Notes, maybe. He, he, maybe Father's Notes. Maybe he just got lucky. I think he just knew that Claw, he, like, uh, they, they had been wanting Claw for a long time. Hold on, wait. When they part ways what is, to, what does he to do? go sell it, I don't know if he does anything, but he knows that when they part ways to go sell it, that uh, T'Challa goes after him... And that they know that Claw is out there. So if he helps Claw escape and then returns with Claw, having like reversed this botched mission to bring Claw back, that's enough goodwill for him to get into the country. Yeah. Because if he had just been a, a guy who showed up with a dead Andy Circus, then that might not be as easy to sell as I killed this guy you tried to capture. So may, maybe he, it's not a long con. Maybe he helps him out. He really, he really is just going after the money. Mm-hmm. And then he discovers they're after him because mm-hmm. the, the sale doesn't go through. And he's like, oh, if they want him, I can bring him. Yeah. And so he puts on the mask so, like, people won't be able to... But no one knows what he looks like anyway. I was trying to justify yeah. why he wears the mask. I think he wears the mask because he was feeling it. I mean, he was feeling it. Look, let's just say he was... In, he, but he was trying to get the Wakanda his entire life. Yeah. The plan makes... You don't question what works, John. Uh, okay, I'm just saying that from the outset, you seemed to believe this plan was good. I was going to try to walk you through it, but I didn't actually have it, an understanding of it. I'm sorry. It is the biggest part of the movie that frustrated me. Uh, just because I kept thinking about that stupid plan the whole time I was watching. It was like, where is it? If you... Listen, listeners... If you can explain the plan to me in more succinct detail to make me understand why it was the way that it was, please do. Yeah. Please do. Explain it to John, because obviously he just doesn't get it, and I understand it perfectly, but he he's just not understanding what I'm saying. I think we'll agree to disagree on that one. I think that is fair. Oh. I have another question. Another inconsistency. Another inconsistency? Real quick. So, one tribal scar dot for every kill, right? Yes. You know, it's, uh, it's, um... They're like, welts or something. Yeah, he burns himself. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, that's really similar to, like, scarification in African tribes. Cool visual, uh, visual reference. Okay. How does he get the ones on his back? Oh, he, he probably had somebody help him. <laughs> but he's like, he has someone help him. was like, make it symmetrical. Line it up with the other one. If we assume that most of those kills were done while he was, like, overseas in, a, in a, yeah, Afghanistan... Yeah, so he would have other people do He would it. have camaraderie. Like, they called him Killmonger. His gamertag. It's gotta yeah, be his gamertag. Not, not out of fear. Like, they probably respected him because it's kind of like what you do in the army or, or armed services, armed forces, Your whatever. Killmonger kills. He kept racking up confirmed kills. And, like, probably when he started that... Or maybe maybe... Maybe it took him so long to get Wakanda because he he, he had to perfect a tool <laughs> yes. that involves like wire and a mirror and like a burning brand so that he could line now, up. Now, see, I was thinking about this. So here's how, if he didn't have help, here's my theory. Okay. In his apartment, he had a, a forward-facing full-length mirror slightly off to an angle that faced another full-length mirror that faced his back. Listen. And he had, like, a gimbal that he could attach a cigar to. He could position it where he wanted it to, and then just back up into it while he's watching the rearview mirror. 
I think he had a friend. Okay, that would probably make more sense. But that would be a really cool oh. scene in the movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Him putting together his cigar holder. You don't think that would... You don't think that would take away from the severity of his character? Look, I just wanted to know what Killmonger was doing well... Andy Serkis was selling that vibranium, so if it showed him, like, going back to, like, sidle up to that thing again... You're right, because he... Pro no, he didn't kill anybody. He didn't? No, that was all Andy Serkis. Oh, you're right, he didn't... Yeah, his first confirmed kill of the movie Is his was girlfriend. his girlfriend. <laughs> and then shortly thereafter, Andy Serkis. But none of those welts looked new. Shouldn't he have two <laughs> I new ones? I was about to say, we didn't see him at new ones. We certainly didn't see him at a new one when he thought he had killed T'Challa... That yeah. would have been a great moment, like, if he was like, well, damn it, now I have to kill you to justify the newest, you know, bump. I mean, here's the problem, though, is, like, his torso is full, so, like, all those new bumps would just be, like, lower. I mean, look, he, he had to keep his pants on, probably, to keep the rating. We yeah. don't know what's what's going on with his yeah, legs. we don't know down there. My absolute favorite moment of this movie is when T'Challa is walking up. He's like, he says, like, he calls him out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Killmonger just goes sup <laughs> yep yeah uh, Killmonger's super charismatic and great also the fact that he calls like the queen of Wakanda auntie hey, very, very good that's great very good Killmonger's very good He's he makes the movie without Killmonger I hate to say it but Black Panther it's still good because all the supporting characters the family yeah uh, around T'Challa, like, just so much world building with, like, the different tribes and Baku, who is, we haven't talked about, but... We don't have enough time to talk about how much admiration and love I have for the character of M'Baku. So, so perfectly encapsulates, like, like, not, not really the gorilla spirit, but, like, the monkey spirit. Yeah, uh, I, I so love M'Baku <laughs> because he... He has that, like, you think is gonna be this, like, big dumb guy, but, uh, similar to, like, the, the gorillas that the, that his tribe, like, models themselves after, he's, like, a big, angry, powerful trickster. Yeah. But he also has, like, a really strong sense of honor. Yeah. The only thing I have to say about M'Baku, since we have to keep this short, is that I'm glad he's gonna be Infinity War. Is he? Yeah. What? He's confirmed to be in Infinity War. What's he they, gonna be? They had to add one more character <laughs> to the entire <laughs> ensemble cast because I think they're they're waiting for the like the stage underneath the soundstage to just fall. <laughs> yes. Eventually, a you cannot have enough characters in Infinity War, and if if during the massive Lord of the Rings two towers clash. If just M'Baku is just, like, running in the back, so good. But no, I mean, a large... It, from what the trailers show, a large conflict is going to happen in Wakanda. Probably because there's an Infinity Stone in the in the center of that uh, meteor full of vibranium. Oh, was that the after credits? No. Oh, you, yeah, okay. I'm yeah. just conjecturing. Yeah. Because uh, the Soul Stone has been linked to vibranium in the comics before. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. Look, I, I don't. I'm not a historian. I just read little snippets. So there's. I mean, and we've already seen in the trailers that there's going to be a huge fight there anyway. Yeah. So you might as well bring in Mbaku. Yeah. Put it. Don't kill Mbaku though. The after credit scene. Just so you know. Do you want me to tell you? Yes. Remember at the end of Cappy America Civil War, 
Cappy yes. brings his friend Bucker's Barn yeah. to Wakanda. You're right. He's in that freezer tube. Yeah, I forgot. And he's like, you'll take care of him and like, we'll put, you know. So, uh, the after credits scene is Buck- Bucker's Barn uh, awake, mm-hmm. still missing an arm. Yeah. And talking to Shuri. Yeah. Who has obviously healed him mentally because he, you know, get rid of all that brainwashing thing. Mm-hmm. And she's like, how do you feel? And he just goes, good. And she's like, come now. We, there's more to learn or something <laughs> like that. But it's just, we get to see Bucker's barn uh, healed. Uh-huh. And if you remember, when they bring in uh, Sergeant Agent Cooper Ross, yep. she says, oh, goody, another white boy to fix. Oh, no. The first one being Bucker's barn. Okay. Yeah. So that's the after credit scene? That's it. Okay. And the special Alamo Draft House thing. Okay. For those of you... Who don't know. I guess I'll have to go see it again. Oh, I was going to tell you it. Oh, yes. So, Alamo Drafthouse, they always have, like, a message beforehand. Usually, if there's a big movie, they get actors from the movie to say, hey, don't talk. And remember, uh, Chadwick Bosman. Bosman. Bosman, thank you. Says, you know, he's staring. And uh, the, the actress who plays Shuri comes up and says, you can't stare at them the entire film. And he says, watch me. Mm-hmm. And then he goes, I'm still watching. Yeah. So after everything, the I'm still watching clip plays one more time. Nice. And it, it always, the two times I've seen the film, it produced a little chuckle. So I don't know what it was about my show, but everyone got out of there after the mid credits thing. Oh. Everyone was gone. Well, probably because after the mid credits scene, it's like, that's the end of the yeah. things related to Black Panther. That's the end of things that are important. Yeah. The f- one of my favorite things is like, you know, Black Panther will return and Avengers <laughs> Affinity War. Yeah. I want to add like, in like two weeks. Like, <laughs> cause it, Very soon. It, it's, it's insane how close we are to Infinity War. I mean, the world will never be the same. The world I, will never be the same. I think the world won't be the... I, th- I feel like Black Panther's going to open a lot of doors. Mm-hmm. I feel like we're going to see a resurgence of black leads. I, I'm hoping we see a resurgence of black leads and films especially superhero movies which well, have been super not bad. yeah well it just like in more mainstream things not like oh that's a black movie yeah i want the, i i think we're gonna see less of oh that's a blank movie mm-hmm. let's just make movies i'm putting a lot of faith and and hollywood in the system here and they're i mean they're motivated by money and black panther is really high grossing so we're gonna see some spinoffs for sure we're going to see some attempts. They're not all going to be great. But the important thing is, it doesn't matter that if they're great or not, they exist. Yeah. Black Green Lantern. Dude. Yes. John Stewart. Yeah. Give me a Black Green Lantern, please. The reason I didn't see the Ryan Reynolds John St- uh, Green Lantern was because it wasn't the Green Lantern I grew up with. Yeah. I uh, grew up with John Stewart. You know, the, the, best, the best Green Lanterns, the best Lanterns, Black Eye and a Cat. The Cat? Red Lantern. Oh, uh, you lost me. Don't worry. Dexstar? No. You don't know anything about Dexstar? My favorite Green Lantern is Mobo. Mobo. Do you know about Mobo? I don't know about Mobo. Uh, Mobo, Mobo is a sentient planet who is a Green Lantern. That's amazing. 
Green Lantern is really where the crazy ideas go. He was created by Alan Moore, and I love him. Of course, I love Alan Moore as well. Uh, so I feel like that is a pretty well-rounded discussion of Black Panther. And, like, the weird thing is I walked into this this supplemental reading intending to discuss whether or not the movie was good or great or whatever, and after talking about it and diving into the themes, I think this was a really great movie. Yeah, uh, I'm kind of in a similar boat in that when I watched it, it did not shake me to my core in the way I was expecting, but I mean, maybe that's just endemic of something that you feel bears the weight of representation is you just have, you have a lot riding on your experience. You're expecting a lot of things and you don't know how to feel. But I feel like almost, and this is a dangerous thing to say because it's not true. I feel like almost in an objective way, I have to say that it's a great movie because it, it communicated so much so strongly and stuck with me. See, I, I felt like I felt like my, my initial reaction was like, oh no. It wasn't, it was just another Marvel movie. And I I think it, I I thought it was suffering from this thing where it's like, so many Marvel movies have came before it. And this was seemingly another origin story. Like, oh God, it's going to be another one of those. But the fact that we can dive into these deep topics that the movie discusses and presents, and you can't really do that with say Thor Ragnarok yeah which is a movie I really enjoyed it was very entertaining and very refreshing for that character but it didn't it doesn't you can't have the same conversations that we're having with Black Panther with Thor Ragnarok yeah because it it's one thing to make a superhero movie that's really enjoyable and breaks the mold and Thor Ragnarok did all those things Guardians of the Galaxy did those things and those are very very good movies but I feel like with the the level of discussion that we've had just proving that Black Panther like bears its ideological weight so well, I I think it's tough to argue that it's anything other than a great movie. Yeah. And, and like if this is the new standard for Marvel movies, which it won't be, because Ant-Man and the Wasp isn't going to like start a diatribe on anything really what if ant-man and the wasp opens with a spinning newspaper and it says middle class disappearing and then uh, paul rudd or whatever shows up and he's like that's right this is about the middle class too no i, I think if anything ant-man and the wasp would be about gender equality yeah it's not gonna be <laughs> it's not gonna be it's not gonna be whatever well no no they're gonna they're gonna dive into the hank the real hank <laughs> pym not the not the one they showed in the last movie poor hank pym <laughs> he got turned into an ant. I don't know anything about Hank Pym. Never say poor Hank Pym. Oh, he, he is he bad? In the comics. Uh-huh. Not the Michael Douglas character we saw in the movie, who dearly loves his wife. Yes. In the comics, Hank Pym is prone to anger and he beats his wife. Oh, no. So that there's that. Oh, no. That's terrible. <laughs> He's not a good... Per- Hank Pym was the guy who created Ultron. Oh, because he was tired of doing everything himself. Uh, let's say no to Hank Pym. The Michael Douglas character in the movies is a much more wholesome version. He d- he still loses his temper, but it, it's never implied that he ever lost his temper toward his wife. Do you think whoever ended up directing or writing the Ant-Man movie was in that Marvel room reading all the, Ant- the Ant-Man? They're like, oh no. They just skipped like 20 years of Ant-Man. Well, I, I think that was the reason why they went with the second Ant-Man. The one that Paul Rudd plays, whose name I, well, I will never remember. Pete Pym. Pete, no, he's not, he's not a Pym. Scott Baker. Scott Pym Baker. Sc- Scott, Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, sure. Um, I think that's White a, name. 
<laughs> I think that's one of the reasons they went with him instead of Hank. Mm-hmm. They went with him instead of Pim. Yeah, because they didn't want to open. They didn't want to openly feature like a misogynistic wife-beating character as a superhero. Yeah. Instead, he's a washed-up old white guy. Which what <laughs> washed-up old white guy do you know? That's not okay. Never mind. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I feel yeah, mind is. Mind is made up on Black Panther, and I feel like we've done a great service, at least to me, in the in the course of this supplemental reading. And I like that we touched on the deeper things. We got we got below the surface, and that's what really what supplemental readings were supposed to be when we first set out to do them. And I want to see more seemingly pop culture-y movies bring in these hard-hitting discussion topics and just... Make people, you know, just get people thinking about these sort of things or like deeper sort of things and not just being entertainment. Because, I mean, if you combine the fact that the last Star Wars movie plus the most recent Marvel movie have some of the most interesting conversations that I've seen in movies recently, that's pretty awesome. I think I, if we keep going in that direction, then that's great. But again, Ant Man and the Wasp isn't going to start a diatribe on like. I don't know uh, how, how to deal with the homeless. <laughs> how, how to make sure there's no more homeless. How to deal with the homeless. Shrink them. Shrink them. Shrink them. I'm Michael Douglas. Shrink them. <laughs> Michael Doug- The movie starts. Cold open. Michael Douglas is like giving a press conference. He's Is he dead? Did he die? No, he didn't die. So Michael Douglas is like, and we shrink him. And then like some cameras go off the... Spinning newspaper. Yeah, and then people are like, you... What? And then spring newspaper, Hank Pym, shrink the homeless. And then they're just like cleanup crews with like shrinking guns going around shrinking the homeless. And then it's just a story of the of uh, whatever his name is, Scott Bayo and the Wasp, going around trying to make homeless people big again. <laughs> make homeless people big again. Ant-Man and the Wasp, colon, make homeless people big again. That's it. We wrote it. Hey, you can't tell us that we didn't call it. Yep. Oh, boy. Uh, (laughs) Infinity War starts and Thanos walks out and just says, What you're about to see (laughs) is what happens when one person holds all of the power. Yes. (laughs) It's... it's, These are the topics we're going to cover... (laughs) <laughs> yes. Each bullet is an infinity stone. <laughs> Each bullet's an infinity stone. And then, like, he, he goes to a side and like, and if you pay close attention, maybe there's a message about oligarchy. Yeah. And then the movie starts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's wearing, like, a teacher get-up in glasses, and he's got a pointer, because that's what teachers have. Yeah. He's like an 80s teacher. Yep. Uh, teacher Thanos. Oh. Uh, but Galactus will teach us nothing. Galactus is a Fantastic Four thing? Yeah, right? Who cares? I don't know. Fantastic Four teaches you what not to do with a superhero movie. <laughs> yes. And that's probably the most important lesson of all. Yeah, what not to do with a superhero movie uh, multiple times. Alright, I think we should wrap up yeah. our discussion on Black Panther and this this upward trend of deeper pop culture that's going on. With some social media plugs, which are empty and vapid and offer no discussion topics. Never call him Eric. Oh, what? Oh, did you not see that? At the Alamo Draft House, they go through the history of Killmonger, 
And the first like promo image of Killmonger from the comics goes, Killmonger, never call him Eric. <laughs> no, I love that. I actually commented on it. It was like, Killmonger, they never call him Eric. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love old comic books with their cheesy taglines. It's so good. It's amazing. Black Panther versus the clan. Anyway. Uh, did you... That, that thing where it said that was a controversial story... <laughs> Who got offended? The clan? Uh, I mean, it was the 60s or 70s. Uh, but also, people are getting upset now that white supremacists are being called out in media for other reasons. So I guess we're living in hell. And if you're living in hell and want to contact us and tell us all about your personal hell, you can do so in these following ways. For one, you can contact us on Twitter.com at ZCPCWHJ on Twitter.com. That's a sandwich. <laughs> you can send us little tweets, little nuggets, little things that you noticed. Did you notice the Easter eggs in the movie? I sure didn't. Point them out to us. Or if you want to send us your own opinions on Black Panther in, in, a, in a longer email-like form, you can send us a Gmail <laughs> at... Zero credits is a podcast at gmail.com. We're always open. You can find us on Facebook by searching for Zero Credits Podcast on the Facebook search bar. We're not going to fix that. And uh, we're on iTunes. You can rate and subscribe to us on iTunes. We also play video games at twitch.tv slash zero credits. <laughs> John, I don't need the little verbal reminder, the little visual cues. Uh, and lastly, please tell one person about Zero Credit, someone you think would enjoy it, enjoy our content. If you enjoy it, others will too. Word of mouth is the only way that we will ever reach the top of the charts and dethrone Mark Marin. Finally, Mark Marin, your time is done. That's right. You're not even safe in the supplemental readings. We're always going to come after you. Uh, bury me with my ancestors who realized that death was better than Mark Marin. <laughs> <laughs> and you can quote John on that. All right. And from everyone here at the supplemental reading Zero Credits Studios, we like to wish you a happy reviewing of Black Panther. Go see it again. Watch the after credit scene like I didn't do, and uh, Galactus will teach you nothing. Galactus will teach you nothing. Goodbye. Make the homeless big again. That was funny. That was